turn to Matthew chapter 5 and just be patient. We'll get there here in a moment as we continue in our series, Life Goals. And every year as we turn the, calendar on the, uh, turn the page on the calendar, I'm always seeking the Lord. Lord, would you in some way somehow give me a, a word from, from your heart towards the people of God to, in a new or a fresh way, discover a fresh season of personal faith, freedom, and victory? And, and, and would you inspire us to prioritize you in a new or a fresh way as we go into a new year? Because there's a lot of things in, that you could focus on to make resolutions, things you could do. But the number one thing you can re resolve yourself to is more of Jesus in your life. More of Jesus in your family. More of Jesus in your heart. And all the other things, Matthew 6.33 says, when you begin to seek more of him, all the other things that maybe you really can do better at in 2022, you'll begin to discover the grace to see those things come to pass when you get more of Jesus in your life. So we're, 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 we're digging into God's word. Lord, we're asking ourselves this question, does what matters most to God matter most to me? And how can I begin to, in intentional ways, prioritize God so that I can be a person that God can bless? All right, Matthew chapter five, let me pray over us before we dig into God's word today. I'll pray over us corporately, but right where you are, right where you sit, right where you are joining us online, would you pray and would you ask the Lord to speak to you? to do what he needs to do in your life, to remind you of some things he needs to remind you of, to reveal something in your heart that he needs to re reveal to you, that he's made possible, that he's inviting you to through the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just thank you for this precious congregation, every man, woman, every young adult, God, every person in this room, everyone joining us online. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that you would uh, just renew us and restore us and heal us, God. Anyone who's here today, God, and they're facing something, they're in a struggle, they're in a battle, maybe they're going through a difficult season, they're weak or weary or wounded, Lord, we know your heart today is to heal, to restore, to bring fresh faith, to bring fresh courage, to bring new life in Jesus' name. I declare it, God, over your people today. Would you speak to us from your heart and through your word, and we receive it today, God. It's our heart, Lord, to grow closer to Jesus, to look more like him, Lord, above all the other things that we could endeavor to do better in 2022, we wanna look more like Jesus. And we thank you that all the other things that you rightfully have called us to do, Lord, will begin to fall into place as we prioritize you and focus on you. In Jesus' name, and come on, all God's precious people said, amen. amen. All right, Matthew chapter five, verse five. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is bringing what is known as the Beatitudes. And there are many things that he outlines that will lead to a life of blessing. But I wanna pull, I wanna pull one scripture and I wanna talk to you about what I really believe. And I know that I have a history of saying these things almost every week I'm saying, this is the most important message that I've ever brought or you really need to, if you'll just grab onto this one thing. But, but here's the thing, I really believe this and I'm gonna show you in God's word why I believe this one issue is the root issue that will most determine God's ability to bless you or not bless you. This one issue, that it's the root issue of many of the other things. And there's a lot of things. And, and we dug into some of those things a few weeks ago. We went through Deuteronomy 28 that just outlines all these ways and all these things, all these commands, things that we as the people of God could do to position and posture ourselves so that God can bless us. And the, and the flip side of the coin, the warnings from God that if we don't live this life, if we don't prioritize his word, if we don't keep him first, the lack of blessing that he can flow into our life because God wants to bless you. There's a hope, there's a future. It's a good hope. It's a good future that for, for you, for your life, for your marriage, for your family, I promise you it's true for you regardless of where you're at today or regardless of the season you're coming out of, regardless of what you're going through, God wants to bless you. That's where we pick up Matthew chapter five, verse five. And it says this, New Living Translation, God blesses those who are humble. 
for they will inherit the entire earth. The NIV translation says it this way, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And you know, I think there's probably a lot of perspectives about what it looks like to be meek. And, and I think the world probably says it's kind of be soft-spoken, be timid. But I, this, this word is one of the, the words in the Bible that, you know, the English language does a very poor job in some respects of defining or, or helping to capture the heart and the spirit of what the original language was trying to convey. This word may be foremost of all. The word that we translate meek is the Greek word praus. And praus is an equestrian term that they would use to describe war horses, that they would use to describe horses that had been captured in the wild and trained and worked with until they were able to be bridled and able to be steered and able to be directed for their master's purposes, to advance a cause, to participate in a battle. That's the word right here that we've translated meek. Here's why I think we've translated it that way because the original definition of it translated loosely is power under control. Strength under submission. And it's saying, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have access to power and authority and victory and freedom and the goodness and the anointing of God, but they are willing to not take it and use it for themselves. They are willing to become bridled by the master and say, God, I realize that you're pouring this out into my life because every good and perfect thing comes from you, but I'm realizing that you've done it in my life so that I can be used of God to be a blessing to others. If you say slow, we'll go slow. If you say fast, we'll say fast. If you say left, we'll go left. That's what me Meekness is in God's economy, it's power under control. The most humble and the most bold people, that's what you're called to be. That's what we're called to be. Jesus was the Lamb of God, but he was also the Lion of Judah who's one day going to roar. And we're called as the people of God to be the most humble, the most loving, the most caring, the most compassionate, the most considerate, but we also need to discover our voice and become the most courageous and the most bold and the most ferocious because the enemy is out there lying and killing and stealing and destroying and it's time for the people of God. The world doesn't need a bunch of mamsy-pamsy Christians tiptoeing around the truth and tiptoeing around people's feelings. Listen, we can be compassionate, but we also need to have conviction and courage. And that's what meekness is. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who operate in power under control. Did you know that the reason that humility is so important in the life of a believer is because of all the things that Jesus has made possible for you in your life as a believer? That humility is intended to be the platform for this life of boldness and this life of courage and this life of adventure and this life of freedom and this life of bold faith and this life of testifying and declaring of God's goodness and Jesus' work in our life. Humility is important in your life because it's the platform for greatness. And God does not despise greatness. He resists pride. And Jesus said, I'm going away to the Father. And because I do, what did he say? Even greater things you will do. Because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus took the lid off of you. Jesus doesn't despise greatness. And we, and so, but, the, but the spirit of religion and the spirit of the world causes us to think that what humility and meekness looks like is a bunch of mansy-pansy Christians tiptoeing around everybody and, and fearful about what people might think. And I'm telling you that, that true humility in God's economy is an understanding that I have power from on high. I have the keys to the kingdom. I have the authority of the cross of Jesus. I've got the written word of God. And when I stand and speak, the Lion of Judah is roaring behind me. And because of all the ways and all the things that God wants to do and release and empower and entrust to my life, I've got to predetermine I'm going to be humble. 
when they come to you and they say, that thing that you did, that thing that you said, that thing that you built, that victory that you accomplished, you predetermined, you, you recognize that if it wasn't for God in my life, I wouldn't have had the breath to sing the song. If it wasn't for God in my life, I wouldn't have had the wisdom. I wouldn't have had the insight. I wouldn't have had the discernment. I wouldn't have had the opportunity. I wouldn't have had the grace to do whatever it is that the world is looking to try to get you to take the glory for. And you just predetermine and say, no, blessed are the humble and the meek, those who realize and recognize that we're acts we have access to great power, but we're surrendering it to the will of my Lord and my Savior. That's what meekness is. Humility is important because it's the platform for boldness. It's the platform for greatness. God wants to release something to your life. We need men and women of God. We need young adults standing and becoming influencers and, and outside the walls of the church in the, in the spheres of influence, we need men and women of God, Christians and believers, people of faith, to be out there shaping and molding the culture and influencing people for Christ. Humility is important because it's the platform for boldness, it's the platform for greatness. I'll say it again, God doesn't despise greatness, he just resists pride. The life that God can bless is a life of humility and meekness. God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the entire earth. Proverbs 22 verse four says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches, honor, and life. Does that sound like the blessing of God right there? It says the wages of humility are riches, honor, and life. And the religious spirit will come around and say, well, you better be careful having too much of that. No, you better be careful having too much of those things if you are not predetermined to recognize that God is the giver of it all. And if you are not willing to become trained by God where the bridle of God is on your life and you realize everything he's ever entrusted to me or empowered me with or graced me with or invited me to is all for his glory, not my own. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. It's interesting that it uses the word wages here because the Bible has a lot to say about wages and gifts. Salvation is a what? Free gift. But right here, he says the wages, what you earn in the Bible also says not to withhold wages from the one who was worthy of them. And so he's saying right here, when I look down into your life, I'm looking to see, are you walking in humility? Are you bridled by the, the Holy Spirit? Are you looking to be surrendered and submitted to the work of God in your life? If so, there are riches, there are honor, there is favor, there is goodness that I desire to pour out into your life. Humility is required in the life of a believer because of all that God wants to release into your life. There's a list of things that I typed out a couple years ago and I look to introduce it into a message a couple times a year to just keep it on your heart or to introduce it into the life of people who might be new to Rev City. And this is a list that, honest truth is, I just sat down at my computer and I began to just type off the, off the cuff and out of my heart of the things that I remembered that the word of God said about you and I who we are, what we have access to, what we're invited to through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to keep in mind a couple things about this list. Number one is if you are found in Christ, if you've put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, this list is about you. Look at your neighbor and tell him it's about you. This is about you. This is you. He's about to describe you. This is how God sees you. There's some other lists that maybe you keep about yourself or people keep about you, but this is the list that God has intentionally written about you. Come on, look at someone again and tell them again and do it with some confidence this time. Tell them this is about you. He's talking about you. He's about to describe you in Christ. So, so number one is th this list is about you. Number two is this is a partial list. 
This is to the best of my recollection. I, I haven't sat down and I'm sure I could and I could add to this list. If I did a word study or got into my Bible software or whatever, this is a partial list. Here it goes. This is what God has to say about you. And, and remember, the context of this is, this is a partial list of what God has invited you to and made possible for you. And it's the reason, if you gotta understand that if, if you're gonna walk in all this and the things that didn't even make this list, you're gonna have to predetermine to walk in humility. So, so here, here's just a little bit of what God has to say about who you are in Christ. You're a child of God. You're created in his image. You're the first and not the last. You are the head and not the tail. You are chosen and you are loved. You are his dearly beloved. You're the apple of his eye. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus who gives you the victory. You are blessed when you're coming and you're blessed when you're going. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the country. He no longer calls you a servant, but he calls you his friend. As you obey and trust and put your faith in God, the Bible says that everything you put your hand to shall prosper. You are an ambassador of the highest kingdom, representing the king of all kings. You are a co-heir with Christ, part of the very family of God. And come on, it's a royal family. You will one day rule and reign with him. You are sealed by his spirit and you are called by his name. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You are God's treasure, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You've been raised to life with Christ and seated in heavenly places. You've been given the mind of Christ and you are the light of the world. In Christ, the Bible says you have every spiritual blessing. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are an overcomer. You are victorious. In fact, so victorious that you are more than a conqueror. And nothing, yes, nothing, not fear, not darkness, no person, no demon, no sickness, no virus, no death itself will never be able to separate you from the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. Someone ought to say, thank you, Lord. So that list is about you, and that's a partial list. And it's the reason that God emphasizes humility, because he needs people to begin to walk in this. The world needs not a bunch of religious churchgoers. The world needs people to begin to walk in this as a billboard for who God really is and for what he desires to do and he will do in the life of every person, even the, even the most lost and far gone sinner. Humility is important because of all that Christ has made possible for you to be and become in and through him. Blessed are those who are humble. They'll inherit the earth. Humility leads you. Humility postures you. Humility positions you to be able to be blessed of God. And isn't that really what we ought to be after? A life that God can bless. A life that's pleasing to God. A life where, that's lived in a way that he can look down. Second Chronicles 16, 19 says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro. He's looking. He's searching throughout the earth that he's looking for someone that he may strongly support, who, whose heart is fully his. Who recognize that everything that he's doing in your life, everything that he desires to do, the greatness that he's empowered you to, that it's all for his glory. It's not for our own gain or our own benefit. There'll be some blessing that we receive through it inevitably because God wants to bless you and he wants to provide for you. But we begin to become bridled to God's purposes. We understand that my life is not my own. We understand the gifting or the calling or the abilities that he's imparted and invested in you. And I promise you, there's something that he's invested and imparted to your life. 
that he intends to begin to become trained and he intends for you to become bridled to him so that he can begin to direct your steps and direct your past into just the right place and just the right time so that you can make the kingdom difference that God created you to make. The eyes of the Lord are looking strongly to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Here's a question to ask yourself. When God looks down at me, what does he see? Does he see a a life that's independent, stubborn, prideful, rebellious, rejecting God? That's the spirit of the world. Or does he see someone who recognizes and has surrendered and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Many will know him as savior, but the real blessing of this, the real impact of this comes from surrendering your life and making him your Lord. His eyes are looking to and fro a life, walking in humility and true humility, not what the world says or the religious spirit says that humility is, but walking in true humility postures us to live a life of protection, provision, and promotion. Watch what the word of God has to say about it so clearly, so specifically. Humility comes before honor, Proverbs 18. But a downfall, before a downfall, the heart becomes haughty, prideful. Psalm 25, eight through nine, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs even sinners in his ways. He guides the who, the humble, in what is right, and he teaches them his way. Proverbs 15, says, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will what? He will lift you up. Remember, a life of protection, provision, and even promotion. You'll humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. First Peter 5, 5 through 11 kind of echoes the same sentiment from the heart of God. And it says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because here's where we get that concept. God opposes the proud, but he gives favor. Other translations say grace to who? To the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may, what, lift you up in due time. When we focus on the character that God can bless, we get the blessings God can give. And God's the one who blesses, but it's our responsibility, it's my responsibility to do the work, to present myself before God and say, God, would you form and would you fashion my character? Would you help me to walk in, not what the world says is humility, but would you help me walk in what true humility looks like? recognizing that I have all the power, the authority, the anointing, the victory, the freedom, the goodness, the grace, the empowerment of God in my life. And I'm recognizing that, that you've given it to me, not for my own devices or my own purposes, but that I might surrender my life towards your purposes so that others can be reached and others can be saved and others can become healed and others can be discipled and equipped and strengthened in their personal faith so that they can begin to discover the life of freedom and victory that you're inviting them to. I think it's interesting that it says humble yourself. Humble yourself. And you know, here's the reality. I think that we get a choice. We either humble ourselves, or sometime, some way, eventually, the circumstances of life will humble us for us. And, And I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to do it behind closed doors in private places. And I would prefer to do it myself, between myself and God. I would prefer, let me say it this way, the latter circumstances of life causing us to be humbled is much more painful than the former. And we owe it to ourselves to say, Lord, help me to stay focused on you. Help me to be postured in in humility. That's humility that you can bless. You know, I, I was thinking about a time that I experienced a humbling and a humiliation, and it takes me back to South Georgia Elementary School, fifth grade year, Amarillo, Texas. 
to after school, there was an asphalt basketball court that several of us guys would go out while we were waiting for our parents who were working during the day to come and pick us up at five o'clock for the last hour and a half of the day, weather permitting, we were out there and we were playing basketball and, and we, were, we were practicing our dunking ability because there were these two basketball goals on each end of this asphalt court with metal poles, no padding, just two metal poles supporting a giant hunk of metal with a metal iron rim welded to that metal hunk of metal. And in the middle of the basketball court as we were playing full court, there were metal tetherball courts. Who remembers tetherball? Anyone play tetherball, you know, remember? How many of you still have the marks on your wrist to prove that you played that, you know, when you were growing up as a kid with the ball wrapping around your hand and everything? And there were tetherball courts, tetherball poles right there in the middle of the basketball court. In other words, there were a million and one ways to get a concussion, you know. This is the 80s, you know. And, and so after school, we would be out there, we would be playing ball, and we would bring our jam boxes out there. You remember the jam boxes, the big old jam boxes powered by 19 D-cell batteries, you know, weighed like 80 pounds, you know, and, and we would play our mixtapes. Who remembers mixtapes? And some of you that are under 25 or 30 are like, what, who is this old man, and what is he talking about? You know, like, what a boomer. Ask your parents. We would make mixtapes, and so you, we would stay up on the weekend, on Friday night, remember the Top 40 was playing or whatever, and we, remember, on your boombox, you, you had to press play and pause at the same time, remember? You pressed play and pause at the same time, and then you waited while the commercials were playing, and then right when the song would come on, right when the DJ would introduce the song, you were just hoping that in the perfect timing, you could release the pause button and begin to record your song to make your mixtape, and so we're out there, and we're, 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 we're playing our mixtapes, and we're hanging out, and... And this fifth grade, I have to say, I think I peaked a little early. Fifth grade was the peak of my athletic career, got to confess. And I was one of three boys, three young guys that could dunk on these eight and a half foot basketball goals out there. And so every, every day after school, weather allowing, we would be out there and we would be dunking. And this was, the, this was the, the pinnacle of dunking. This was MJ and Spud Webb and Dominique Wilkins, you know. This was the, like when the dunk contest was something that you would would look forward to watching. And remember, we didn't have DVRs back then. So, so you, you would have to, you know, you'd have to time it right so that you, 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 you watched it. We didn't have Instagram reels that we could watch for the highlights. You had to get up early before school and while you were eating your Captain Crunch, you had to watch SportsCenter and see who won and all this stuff. And so that's the age that I'm talking about right there. And so, so in our minds, you know, we, we, were, we, were, we were all-stars. And we would be dunking and the girls would be over there. We would be listening to our MC Hammer and our Vanilla Ice and we would be trying to turn it up loud enough to drown out their new kids on the block because we hated those guys. <laughs> and we would be doing our dunks, our reverse jams, our windmill jams, our alley-oop jams, bounce it off the asphalt, bounce it off the backboard. And we were just, we thought we were something else. But God has a way of keeping you humble. And my way was the 1982 AMC Concord that my mom was inevitably about to pull up to pick me up from that place. And it had the sagging ceiling liner in it. And here's the thing that was really, I would, I would see her turn in the corner coming to get me. My parents are very excellent. My, they were working hard in that season to become trained to go into ministry. And they, they, they're very excellent. They're great providers. And, and so this was probably just a real narrow season of humiliation for me that just felt like an eternity. But I would see that car turning the corner and, I would, and I, would, I would have this thought, I would think, I would look around and I would see the girls that were standing around watching us, you know, do our thing. And, and I would say, oh dear Jesus, please do not let that belt make that ungodly noise that it makes when she puts that, part, that car in park. Because inevitably she'd pull up to the curb and she'd put that car in park and this belt, have, have you ever had a car make a noise, make that screeching noise? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like the, the most hideous sound in the whole world. I mean, do I, do I dare make the noise for you? You guys know what the noise is, you know? 
that car would pull up and I just knew, I was like, oh dear God, please not. This car is making that noise. And I'm just telling you, all the coolness I had ever gathered for myself was out the window right there in that very moment as I made the walk of shame with my backpack and my jam box and my basketball towards that car. God has a way of keeping you humble. Are we gonna humble ourselves or is this, are the circumstances of life gonna have to humble us? I'm telling you, the, the better choice is to say, God, would you humble me in the quiet place in my prayer closet? Would, would, can I be a proactive partner with you in saying, God, teach me, God, show me, God, shine the light. If there's anywhere in my life where I've become prideful, is there, if there's anywhere in my life where I've become independent of you, help me to live this out. So how do we live this out? How do we do this? How do we respond? What's our part? And number one is I wanna encourage you with this. We've gotta realize and recognize the root issue of it all. And if we deal with the fruit issue, you know, if we just kind of, if you go out in your yard and you just chop off the top of a weed, it's just a matter of time before the weed is right back again. Somebody knows it's true. So we got to learn and recognize and begin to deal with the root issue. And here's where we find the root issue of this thing called pride. It's Ezekiel chapter 28. And this is the story of Lucifer being cast down from heaven. And if you remember, speaking broadly, there were three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And Michael, you remember, was the warring angel. And Gabriel was the messaging angel. And Lucifer, the word of God shows us, was the worshiping angel. He was the covering angel. He was, for lack of a better word, to just put it plainly, he was the worship leader of heaven. And so here's where we pick up the story. Verse 12, Ezekiel 28. And again, this is the passage that's telling us about the fall of Lucifer from heaven. Because that's what has occurred. That's the reason that there's an enemy that, that is released to kind of oppose and resist and try to lie and steal and kill and destroy and deceive and manipulate us to try to keep us from walking and living as worshipers of God. He's been cast out of heaven along with the third of the angels and now he's interfering and meddling in our lives. Here's the account that tells us how and why that happened. So, so lean in, you gotta catch this. Again, we're talking about the root issue here. Verse 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lazuli, turquoise, beryl, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. This is God speaking. It says you were on the holy mount of God and walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Here's the, here's the bottom line right here. Here's why it happened. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, made a spectacle of you before kings. So here's Lucifer and he's perfect in all of his ways. He's got perfect relationship with God. The, it, the, the description here, I mean, can you, it's prophetic language, but he was magnificent in the way that God had created him. There was greatness that God had created him for. There was power. There was authority. There was anointing. There was purpose that God had created him for, just like he's created you and I. And here's what Lucifer did. He began to use it for himself. And here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. How much can God release, empower, or entrust to you and you won't use it against him? How much blessing? How much provision? How much authority? can God release to you? It's what happened here. It was Lucifer's downfall. This is the root issue. 
This is that root issue that, that what we're talking about that is the root issue of all these other issues is when we begin to operate in pride, when we begin to take what was intended and put into our life to be a blessing to God and others, and we begin to consider ourselves as worthy of that very thing, how much can God release and trust or empower you with and you won't use it against him? Proverbs 16 says that there are six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And I think it's powerfully profound that the very first one that God shares with us in Proverbs 16 is a proud look. Let me just read it for you. It says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running towards evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord amongst the brethren. He says, there's six things I hate, seven that are an abomination, and the very first one is a proud look. And we read, God resists the proud, but he gives grace, he gives favor, he gives empowerment to the humble. You know why God resists pride? It's not because it's just bad Christian behavior. It's because when we are operating in a spirit of pride, we are cooperating with the spirit of Lucifer. It says Lucifer became proud in his ways because of his beauty, because of his greatness. And so many people, you look around our culture and all the prosperity and all the fame and all the followers and everything else, and they're not giving God the glory for any of it. They've become a God in their own eyes. And it's the spirit of Lucifer that entered into the world, and it's the distinction between those who are gonna serve the spirit of the world and those who are gonna serve the living God. Am I going to allow myself or my money or my bank account or my job or my title or my status to become my God? Or am I going to say all of those good things that maybe God even really wants to release and entrust and empower him with? They came from him and him alone, every good and perfect thing. And there's nothing that he's given. There's nothing that he's entrusted that I could ever do or earn in my own strength. It's all dependent upon my reliance upon him. Here's what I wanna give you, three steps to walking in this kind of humility that God can bless. And it might not be what you're expecting, and number one is prayer. Prayer, that number one is prayer. And that's, I heard my pastor growing up, Jimmy Evans, say this, a day without prayer is actually a boast against God. And Isaiah 14 is where we find the cross-reference of this same account of Lucifer being cast down from heaven because of his pride. And watch what it says, it's really eye-opening here. Stay with me on this. Verse 12, Isaiah 14, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And God's response is, instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depth. So another account of Lucifer being cast down, and, it's, and why? It says, he said to himself, I will ascend above God, and I will preside over my own life. And whether or not we pray is not a matter of a religious exercise. We're not checking a box. 
When we pray, we're defeating the spirit of Lucifer because we're saying, God, everything you've called me to do, everything you've called me to be, everything you're calling me and inviting me to become as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a leader, as a servant, as a sister, as a brother, as the president of the company, or as a, a worker and a servant, whatever it is for you, everything you've called me to do, everything you've called me to be, and everything you're inviting me to become, I cannot and I will not do it in my own strength. I will not preside over my own life every day before I even get out of bed or go out the door, I'm recognizing in prayer that I need your grace, I need your strength, I need your empowerment for the things that I know are looming in my day, the things that are already on my itinerary and all the things that are unforeseen and unexpected. I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot do it without your grace. I cannot do it without your mercy and your forgiveness operating and flowing in my life. I can't be the husband that you've called me to be. I can't love the people that you've called me to love without you. A day without prayer is a boast without God. And God's calling us back to that place. How do we walk in true biblical humility? We begin to become a people of prayer. Say, God, every day, I'm not gonna preside over my own life. And you might say, well, Pastor T, how do I pray? I don't know how to pray it. I'm telling you, you don't have to know King James language. You don't have to have religious sounding sayings. All you have to do is begin to talk to your heavenly father who doesn't call you a servant anymore. He calls you a friend and he calls you a son or a daughter. And a good place to start is what's the list of things that's keeping you up at night? What's the list of things that you're fearful, worried about, or anxious about? What are the places where you're concerned with your children or your finances or your job or your future or your spouse? That's a good place to start. Just begin to present those things to God and say, God, all those things, my hopes, my dreams, my challenges, my fears, my worries, my anxieties, I refuse to preside over them in my own strength. I need Jesus to show up in my life today. That's what prayer is about. And it's not an obligation, it's an invitation because when we, and I, and I believe my hope is if, if nothing else you get out of this message, that there will be a commitment to in a new or a fresh or a recommitted way begin to develop a personal daily prayer life. When you wake up in the morning, when you're going about your day, when you're commuting to the workplace, whatever it is to begin to just find the, the grace and the strength and the courage to begin to present your life before God and say, God, I need you today. I need you today. Again, that list of the things, the thing that kept me up last night, the thing that woke me up this morning, the thing that I'm worried about, the thing that I don't know how it's gonna go, those are the very things, Lord, that I'm presenting before you today, and I thank you, God, that I can't do it in my own strength, but in my weakness, you are strong. And these things that seem impossible, they're impossible for man, but when I present them to you and I rely upon you and I look to you and I lean upon you and I place my trust in you, they are possible with God. Someone ought to say thank you, Lord. We overcome the spirit of Lucifer with the daily life of prayer. A day without prayer is a boast against God, but a person who prays is declaring and depending his or her complete dependency upon him. John 15, five through eight, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he said, if you remain in me, other translations say abide in me. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be blessed. He said, you'll bear much fruit. Why? If you're, if you're tethered to me, if you're dependent upon me, if you're looking to me, if you're leaning upon me, if you're trusting in me. But he says, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. Many people are withering in your life. You're dry, you're weary, you're hurting, you're tired. You, can't, you don't know if you're gonna make it another day because you're not abiding in Jesus. And today, he's not punishing us, he's inviting us. Back to that place where a good heavenly father who already knows what you're going through and up against, 
begins to have the opportunity because we begin to pursue him. We begin to draw near to him and he draws near to us. We begin to say, God, I don't want to go about my day to day without your grace upon my life. I'm not going to preside over my life or my circumstances, my hopes, dreams, or challenges. I need you. Paul, I think it's powerful that in Romans 7, the same man, the apostle Paul, the same man made these two things one chapter apart. Romans 7, Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this life of bondage and sin? And the answer to that, the next verse is, thanks be to God, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The same man who said, wretched man that I am, one chapter later, turned the page to Romans chapter eight, is the very one who penned and said, we are more than conquerors in Christ. So which is true? Chapter seven was written on one day. Chapter eight was written on another day, perhaps. And in my life, I don't know about you, but it depends on which day you look at my life. Because I realize that when I'm not abiding in Christ, when I'm not fully dedicated and dependent on him, when I get up and I preside like Lucifer presided over his own life and, and I'm the Lord of my own life and I'm gonna just pull myself up and make it happen in my own strength, it's amazing how quick I can become a wretched man. You weren't intended to do it alone. It's not an obligation, it's an invitation. It's God saying, don't. It's God saying, quit trying to do marriage in your own strength. Quit trying to build the company in your own strength. Quit trying to defeat the addiction in your own strength. Quit trying to win the battle in your own strength. Begin to lean on me. Begin to look to me, to begin to call upon me. We overcome the spirit of Lucifer, which is the spirit of pride, by being a people of prayer. Number two, we overcome the spirit by being a people of praise. It was the battleground for Lucifer's fall. He was the worship leader of heaven. And when we come together, whether it's in this room or in your home or in your shower, in your car, on your commute, and we begin to just worship God and we honor him, it's more than just singing a few songs. It's more than just kind of priming the crowd for the message that's about to be given by the preacher. It's us as a people realizing and recognizing individually and collectively that he is God and we are not and that he's seen us through some things. When I'm up here singing and praising, it's, because, it's not because I'm a preacher, it's because I'm a sinner who's saved by grace and, who, and who's been made whole and been made new and God's continually working in my life. I'm, I'm mindful and I'm thankful of all that he's done in my life and he's not done with me yet. And we overcome that spirit of Lucifer when we say, man, the praise that, that the breath that God's given me in my own lungs, the only direction that it needs to be directed as it regards praise and worship is to, is to God and God above to become a worshiper of God. To, when we worship God, we break the, the Lucifer spirit of pride that begins to exalt ourselves, or begins to exalt others or begins to exalt the things or the, or the money or the status above God. It causes us to remember again, he's God and we are not. Number three, the third way that we defeat the, the, the Lucifer spirit of pride and we walk in true biblical humility that God can bless. We become people of prayer, people of praise. And the last one is we serve people. We serve people. And, and here's the thing is, servanthood is, is not about position. The world kind of has this, this connotation of servanthood being with lowly positions or entry-level statuses. And I'm telling you that you could be the janitor of the company and have a haughty look and a prideful attitude. But you could be the CEO that's writing the checks and running the show. And you could be the most humble, gracious, generous, humble person on the face of the earth. It's not about status, it's not about title, and it's not about position, it's about the posture of your heart towards God and towards others. And Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to come a model for us. And John, or Matthew rather, chapter 20, 
The pretext of what we're about to read is the disciples gathering amongst themselves to decide and argue and determine who's the greatest among us. And, and, and James and John specifically saying, can we have the prime, the prime seat when we get to heaven at the table with Jesus? And they even got their mom to go and to try to convince Jesus to give them the best seats at the table. And, and that's where we pick up the story. And by the way, th those guys have been walking with Jesus for several years and really they were still arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. Don't ever let the enemy convince you that you ever have done anything that would disqualify you from being used of God. God uses flawed people. I mean, really, just think about that. They've been walking with Jesus for a number of years and they're still arguing about who will have the most prominent place or the most visible place or the greatest stature. And I'm just telling you, don't allow the enemy to convince you that he can't use you. He, he, he has a record, he has a track record all throughout the Bible of taking flawed people. Batterson says it this way, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And all throughout the Bible, Moses was a murderer, Abraham was a liar, David was an adulterer. These guys were prideful, they were thinking about themselves even after having walked with Jesus, watching him do miracles and, and sitting under his very teaching. Here's, here's where it says, it says, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers in this world lord it over their people, officials, flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Even the son of man, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. You don't need a lowly position to serve people. Whatever God's called you to do, you can begin to just reprioritize. God, you've called me to do it because I'm called to be a servant. I'm called to be a servant. And you modeled what it looks like. I've got authority. Jesus had authority. Jesus had a title. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He, the Son of Man, he's, he, had, he has all of those things. And yet his motivation was still servanthood. And the way that we defeat the prideful spirit of, of Lucifer is we pray, we praise, and we serve people. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Let's just prepare our hearts to respond to God. Just ask him right now as you're standing to your feet. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Lord, what are you speaking to me? What are you, what are you revealing to me? What are you reminding me of today? What are you calling me to become rededicated or recommitted to? For some of us, I would say for many of us, it's a life of daily prayer. To realize that maybe we've gotten busy or preoccupied or we've gotten so used to doing it in our own strength that we just kind of get up and go about our day, never really taking the time or making the time to recognize God's role in our life. A day without prayer is a boast against God. It says, I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. I've got it. And can we just rededicate ourselves to once again in a new, fresh way, starting today, as you go about your day, starting tomorrow, as you get up and, and go about all the things, the good things that God's called you to, raising your kids, working, leading, whatever it is that God's called you to do, to begin to say, Lord, what you've called me to do, what you've called me to be, what you're inviting me to become, I can't do it in my own strength. I recognize my need for your grace upon my life today. And all the things I'm worried about, fearful about, my hopes, my dreams, my concerns, those are the things that I'm presenting to you today, and I thank you that you are a good God. You already know my needs. You know what I'm up against, God. But I, right now, as I take this time, I'm just modeling what it's going to look like for us going into this week to rededicate ourselves to this. To say, Lord, but right now I'm presenting myself, and I'm recognizing I don't want to preside over these things on my own. I don't want to have to do it in my own strength. I'm inviting you. I'm partnering with you. I'm honoring you. I'm recognizing your lordship over every area of my life that matters to you and thus matters to me. In Jesus' name. Maybe it's a, 
a call to, to praise. Maybe it's a, a, a recognition. Man, I haven't really seen that that's what praise and worship is about. It's about more than just three songs before a sermon. It's, it's about me taking the time and every opportunity that I get to recognize God and to remind myself about all the ways and all the things that he's been faithful to do in my life and see me through in my life and that he's still with me and he's never leaving me or forsaking me. Or maybe there's a call to just re rededicate yourself towards servanthood, what it looks like to begin to reprioritize and refocus whatever it is that God's called you to do with your life towards serving others. Just ask him, Lord, what are you speaking to me? And now would you just take a moment, just take a moment. Maybe you wanna bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you wanna lift your hands before God and just say, Lord, now whatever you're speaking to me, would you come and would you empower me? By your grace, Lord, we wanna not just be hearers, but we wanna be doers, God, of whatever it is you're reminding us of, whatever it is you're inviting us to today. And Lord, I just thank you that on the other side of that obedience and that commitment, I thank you, Lord, there's gonna be just a fresh grace and empowerment and strength that people are going to begin to find. Again, prayer is not a religious obligation. It's an invitation to begin to just draw your strength from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that there would just be marriages revitalized. I thank you, Lord, that there would just be a sense of purpose, a sense of hope, a sense of joy, Lord, that would be restored and renewed and deepened in the life of every believer in this room and online in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. And lastly, before we worship one more time, get you out about your Super Sunday. We wanna take a moment and it's the most important thing we do every week where we gather together and that's to give people the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of their life, to give people the opportunity to come home to their heavenly Father Maybe you're here today or you're joining us online and maybe you once knew God or loved God or served God. Maybe you grew up in the church, but life's happened and gotten busier. Maybe you made some bad choices and today you look up and you say, I'm, I'm really far from God. And you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. And today, if that's you, if that's you, your father is waiting with open arms and he's calling you, he's inviting you, he's longing for you to come back into a relationship with him and you don't have to clean yourself up or make yourself right or get yourself whole before you run into his arms. He wants you to run into his arms today in the very condition that you're in today. He loves you just the way that you are today. But he loves you too much to leave you in that place of loneliness or rejection or sin or condemnation. He's inviting you back into a relationship with him. It's the reason he sent your big brother Jesus to come and to pay the price of your sin and your shame and your guilt and your rebellion and all the mistakes and the misdeeds. And he's paid that price with the free gift that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never received and felt what it feels like that we've all who are believers in Jesus have experienced ourselves, what it feels like to have all the weight of all the stuff, all the past, all the sin, the condemnation that the enemy tries to use to, to cause you to think you're unworthy, you're unlovable, how could God use you? The gospel of Jesus Christ comes, the cross of Jesus Christ comes to remove all of that off of your shoulders in a way that you could never do in your own strength. And so if that's you today, you've drifted from God or you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is your moment. This is your moment. And right now, here's what we're gonna ask you to do. This, it's real simple, but really powerful. Would you just lift your hand towards heaven? That's all we're gonna ask you to do and then we're gonna pray with you. Lord, thank you for these precious people. Thank you, Lord, for, for this, this, this hand going up. 
in the room online, I think it's powerfully important that you would also take a moment, just lift your hand high towards heaven. You are not responding to a preacher or a person, you're responding to your Father. And this hand going up is just an outward sign of an inward work, something that God's doing in your life, renewing, recreating. The Bible says it's so powerful and profound what God's doing in the lives of people who are raising their hands in this room and those joining us online. The Bible says that all the old things pass away, you become a new creation, born again into a new life. If you raise your hand, you can lower it. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, and then we're gonna worship God together one more time and get you about your day. But let's pray this prayer with those people, can we? And just do it in a way that shows them there's a church family that wants to come alongside them and accept them and help them begin to move forward in their personal faith with Jesus Christ. And, and again, when we do this every week, we pray it together. It also just reminds us we never graduate from grace. We're growing in our faith, but we never graduate from grace. Come on, let's pray it. Pray it with passion. Many people dedicated their life or came home to Jesus today. It's super exciting. Come on, pray it with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life, I give you my trust, and because of Jesus, come on, say it loud, I'll never be the same. I will never be the same. And come on, can we rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who gave their life to Jesus today? Hey, come on, let's worship the Lord together one more time.